Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. All right, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being on. Why don't we just kick off? Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and your new book? Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me on. I am Ari Freeman. You might be able to tell from my accent that I'm from New Zealand, a town called Christchurch. Um, I've spent seven years uh, previously as the apprentice apprentice to the official wizard of New Zealand, the world's only government-appointed wizard. And I have just released a book with Aeon Books called Pragmatic Magical Thinking, Real Magic Explained, which is a book trying to cross the liminal area between full-blown occultists, uh, stage magicians, uh, and scientific skeptics. Aside from that, I'm a professional musician for the last sort of 25 years or so. Excellent. So you were just mentioning that the focus of your book is something called you call pragmatic magical thinking, and that you're focused right. on uh, talking to skeptics also. I'm interested in that. Absolutely. Okay, so what I find is amongst uh, religion, magic, science, art, music, what we find is that you get these groups that are attached to an identity. So you have your and you're finding this even within the occult, right? These factions, oh, we are the Solomonic magicians, uh, we are the chaos magicians. What I find is every one of these groups has someone they're sort of kissing up to, for want of a better term. So, okay. like, uh, you know, some magicians are, are saying, yeah, science, in, in, a, in a few years, science will... Um, you know, will will validate magic and 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 what magic is 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 science that hasn't been discovered yet. Um, but there's always a group that people don't want to talk to as well. So I find, uh, like the reason that magic got spelt with a K, which I know you're a fan of, is uh, described as being that the Alistair Crowley didn't want to associate with stage magicians. Mm-hmm. With the idea of being that stage magic is is the fake magic and and what the occult is doing is the real magic. Whereas the argument I take is the best place to start looking for what uh, real occult magic does and what the real effects of magic in the world are is stage magic. Because if you don't know how you can be fooled, then how can you really know anything? 
right? Do you find any overlap between... So I've never studied stage magic, actually. Um, yeah, I've I, researched it, but I, I'm, I, I'm a musician. Oh, I but, see. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you find any... It would be interesting, though. Do you find any overlaps between sta uh, stage magic and cognitive biases, though, like um, confirmation bias or the others? I think it's so much more than that, Jason. I think okay. if you go down the rabbit hole on how the human perception can be fooled and how when it really comes down to it, uh, our brain is a predictive machine that, that creates a model for reality that isn't exactly there. Our whole idea of reality is really almost icons on over, overlapping an operating system. Then you start to realize that all magic has a similarity to stage magic. And so does all art and music and, in fact, human communication. And <laughs> so I find it's a good place to start is how can you be fooled? And then what does that say about the entirety of human perception? Does it kind of make sense? That absolutely, so I think that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So stage magic is real magic. It's just that people are looking for the reality of it in the wrong place. They're going, going, well... Okay, so uh, the magician saws a lady in half and puts her back together. The magic isn't that an object, well, the woman's body got pulled apart and put back together. The magic is the bending, the manipulation of perception. Mm -hmm. And that's the definition of magic I use in this book, which is the ability to manipulate the perception in accordance with the will. I like that. That makes, thank you, that makes stage magic... Um, real magic that makes music real magic that makes performance art real magic and prayers and spells and summoning demons included excellent um would you say that you have happened upon anything in that research that overlaps potentially with let's say things that advertisers and governments use a hundred percent so there's a whole section on my book about advertising psychology um framed so magic is really a way you can frame the world. You can think scientifically. Uh, magical thinking is the sort of associative thinking, which is why in um, things like alchemy, it became platonic. Do you know what I mean? It became the qualities that we impose on the world. So Mars is fire and and uh, and redheadedness and and hot temper and things like this. Um, sorry, can you repeat your question? Um, did you find overlap between these kind of like abilities to manipulate perception or gaps in perception from stage magic and the techniques that advertisers and governments use? Yeah, excellent. So what advertisers are generally trying to do is trying to sell you something you don't particularly need. And to do that, they're trying to create the desire in their customer in the first place. So the example I use, this was a breakthrough moment for me. I was driving down a road in my hometown and I suddenly felt the desire for a McDonald's hamburger. And then I had, the, it was felt like an alien thought. It felt like a spirit had come into my head and go, you must have a hamburger. And the strange thing was, is I don't like McDonald's. I hadn't bought McDonald's in over a decade at that point. And I thought, well, what, what is it? What's happening here? And then I realized that in the drive I'd had down the street, I had passed two McDonald's, but I hadn't taken it in consciously. Mm. <laughs> it had just gone in, not as a visual, not as the double arches, as 
pure desire. And and that's that's where advertising is real charm magic. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting that they were able to slip it in in a way that you weren't aware. Do you have any that's sense right. of how they did that? Um, yeah, I don't know. Just asso- association. You've worked in the advertising uh, uh, spe- uh, sector, and I know that you've talked about it, but it's that association you take, you know, um, I have worked in the advertising sector, although I will mention that when I was working in the advertising sector, I was the only one who knew anything about this stuff. So in case anyone is like, Funny, isn't it? yeah, so in case anyone is uh, uh, worried about all these, I, one of my core feelings in life is that you often get magical people love to project conspiracies and shadowy figures. Oh, one, yes. w- one of my core feelings in life is that is all shadow projection. I'm not saying that obviously governments don't do bad things. Okay. But this idea of like so, evil and, cabals is probably an aspect of the magician's self that they're projecting. Is that's my theory. I think that's frequently the case, and I I try not to be a conspiracy theorist. I agree with you. However, um, the whole idea of advertising psychology, wh- whether you think it's a, a a theory that actually produces real world results or not, it definitely produces real extent- world results. Yeah. Yeah, that was an extension historically in the 1950s of uh, Carl Jung's psychoanalysis. Um, and these things are mentioned in my book. So are you talking about Edward Bernays? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And color theory, you said? Oh, things like color theory, like, um, you know, like why are the McDonald's arches yellow? Why are they round like a pair of women's breasts? You know, things like that. So you have a a kind of a methodology for talking about magic to skeptics. Is that right? Well, I just try and answer their questions, Jason. Would you? Here's the thing. Go ahead. I find that, um, like I said before, groups usually have a type of person they kind of want to grab authority from. And then they have another group of people that they couldn't possibly talk to. Mm. And my main mission is just to get people to talk to each other. And uh, for magicians to notice, you know, the the magic in advertising, the magic that a, a musician is using to make people dance, that all of these things are actually of a common thread. Would you like to attempt advanced podcasting? <laughs> I know you've only been on, you've only been on the show for twelve minutes or on the line for twelve minutes, and you've just met me, but. Yeah. Uh, would you yeah. would, would you like to attempt advanced podcasting, which has not been done on this show before? Uh, sure. Here, I, I, here I, is the game. Here is the role playing yeah. game that I propose. Um, I am going to be the skeptic for once. Yes, fantastic. Fin- finally, thank fuck. Yes, I'm doing this job for That's so right. long, and you convince me. You try to convince me with magic, and I'll see if I can shut you down. How does that sound? That sounds good. Okay, this will be a huge relief for me. Let's <laughs> see. Yeah, I was hoping. I was hoping I could uh, meet you on this level. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Okay, great. Well, let's do it. Um, okay, what what is this magic bullshit? Give me a break. What what are you talking about? Cool. So, if you look at all of the commonality, let's just as a game describe it as the ability to manipulate human perception in accordance with the will. Who's will? That means actively trying to. So who's wealth? The will of the magician. Okay, so, so the it, will of the person trying to manipulate. Well, I mean, like I can, con- you know, I can convince you of something, but that's not like magic power. Is that like magic powers? That doesn't make any sense. Well, how would you define magic? I don't believe in magic. 
I don't. Def- I, I define magic as I think something <laughs> okay, so in, fan- in fantasy like- movies. That's in fantasy movies, and I guess stage magic. But, but uh, right, magic, right. magic isn't well, real. Everyone knows. I mean, magic. No, everyone knows magic isn't real. I mean, come on. Yeah, everyone knows. Yeah, yeah. I get it. So, um, what you're doing is creating a category for things you don't believe, calling it magic and shoving everything in here. But oh no, I there, argue there's lots of things that I don't believe. Magic is is one of them. Yeah, what I'm what I'm arguing is you're fa- failing to notice what is real about the very example you just gave. So a movie, for instance, right? The movie you're going, well, Gandalf doesn't really throw, isn't really a real human being who throws fireballs at, at right, you know, giant things, right? That's not that's not the magic. The magic is in the story. Let's take Harry Potter for an example, right? Harry Potter, yes, little children don't learn Latin words that then manipulate reality and, and give them cheat codes for 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 the universe, mm-hmm. right? Um, the real magician is J.K. Rowling. That a concept, an idea in her head uh, took her from being a DPB mother on the breadline to being one, one of the most powerful writers in history. And, and now one of the most cancelled. But I, I digress. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's her own damn fault. But you know, um, I think. Um, well, so the uh, book is a spell, and the book, the J.K. Rowling is the real magician. Not well, well, well not. okay. I mean, but look, I mean, you're 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 just putting fantasy language on things that are not fantastical or magical at all. I mean, yeah, like J.K. Rowling wrote a book, and she happened to be successful. There's lots of people who write books yeah. and are not successful. Um, there was only ever one JK Rowling, but I would say that that ha- doesn't, don't you think that has more to do with the quality of the writing and being in the right place in the right time? And I mean, like, every, but here's the thing, everything you just described, you can also describe perfectly without using the word magic. So why, why make things cartoony and goofy that, you know, you're, you're just, yeah. you're just like, you know, people are already going to turn off that what they're listening. Right. So it's in order to not leave out things that are real, Jason things that have a real effect. So what I want you to do is have a look around you okay, um, and see if you can see anything that uh, in your room that didn't start as an idea in a human head or as a juxtaposition, you know, as a result of ideas in people's heads. Okay, so then, you know, that would just be, you know, the houseplants, although I guess I planted them, so... Um, so yeah, yeah, nothing, but, but, but again, that just means that people have ideas and make stuff. That's not magic. That's just how he, that's just human beings. I mean, how is that cool. magical that, you know, that you're just putting fantasy language on, on obvious things. Yeah. So the people who really doing the magic, this is how they're describing it to themselves. The shamans, when you look at the, uh, the alchemists, when you look back in history, and you look at how they really explain the world to themselves on their own terms, you'll find that they are trying to do something very practical with the way they're thinking. So, for example, in the past, um, the things that we now use psychology to explain as phenomena of the human brain or human mind, though it often gets framed as the human brain, uh, used to be called angels and demons. Here's what I mean. If you go back to the first Christian monks, the Desert Fathers, uh, they talk about the same phenomena that we describe as OCD, um, as intrusive thoughts coming into your head, and they call those things demons. Now, when you see what they really mean by demons, you see that they mean something far more practical. They don't mean... uh, 
you know, people be getting... Well, what they say is the most dangerous demons aren't the ones that possess people and and uh, take over their voice and and make them behave like a completely different entity. They say the worst uh, demons are the, are the nagging thoughts in your head. Maybe my wife is cheating on me. Um, maybe I shouldn't study for my exam. Uh, maybe maybe everyone thinks I'm a, I'm a dick. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that what they're saying is there is a set of thoughts in your head that you don't want that you're in a bad relationship with by framing it as an other an other entity you might actually stand a chance of getting rid of those intrusive thoughts whereas if you frame it like modern psychology in a non-magical way oh you have some habits and thought behaviors and things it's actually harder in some ways harder to get rid of those do you know what i mean so there's a practicality to um, magical thinking that is not um, often acknowledged because skeptics don't want to take the time to understand what people meant on their own terms. Okay. So I'll, I'll definitely grant you that these this is all accurate historically, that people have believed in magic in, in the past. But I mean, I, I would simply just turn that around and say, well, but that was then. And, and because, you know, what is considered magical thinking is similar to modern psychology, all that that shows or science, all that that shows is that we've moved on. And now we have things that emerged out of that. We had bad ideas back when this the phenomenon we're trying to describe and manipulate are the same. But back then we had bad sloppy ideas. Now we have much better ones and the, mm. and the ones that work better. So why would we why would we go backwards? Why would we want to go back to the Middle Ages? I mean, it's kind of like saying, oh, well, somebody needs a blood transfusion. Let's go get the leeches. And, and the, the little offer on that is, you know, in the real world, in the modern day, I mean, like magic is super fun to talk about for creative people and artists and things like that. But Absolutely. In, in it's super fun and all that. I, I, I get that that's, that's a vibe and all that. Um, it's not my vibe, but, you know, I get that people have that vibe. And, uh, but, but, but I would say like, you know, like, uh, um, but, but in the real world, when people like the real world examples of what you're saying are, for instance, people refusing vaccines or medical care because they want to rely on faith healing. And, and usually what that results in is dead kids, you know, or dead people. Like, it doesn't get right. better results. So why would we want to, it's like going back to the dark ages. Why would we want to do that? Like literally, why would we want to do that? We moved past that. Yeah, I'll, I'll totally explain. <laughs> Firstly, um, I am not saying that magical thinking is good or bad. I am saying it's completely unavoidable. So here's where science has got to, Jason. We we have been, as 20th century people, people as people educated in the 20th century, we were taught that the universe is material, um, that if we had enough time that the entire of nature would unlock her secrets to us and that it's all uh, always better to find out new things. Th- those last two, by the way, are completely faith-based constructs. Um, people haven't believed in whole uh, scientific science. Science has two faith-based beliefs that it's always better to find out new stuff. Um, and that if you spent enough time, the universe would unlock her secrets to us. What's happened with science is the materialist model is dead in the water. What do you mean by that specifically? Specifically, um, we were trying to find the Lego blocks, for want of a better example, 
out of which the entire world was built, which is atomism, right? Which goes back to Democritus. Mm -hmm. So if you only found the smallest things, reductionism, then if you put them all together, the the world and everything, consciousness and everything would emerge out of this matter. Well, we went smaller and smaller and smaller, and we found that we we're at a, uh, we got to a layer where objects no longer exist. Things can be in more than one place at a time. Time doesn't go in one direction. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's just as scientifically true to say that there is only one electron in the entire universe that gets reused over and over again, as it is to say there's multiple that there's many electrons. So, in, in, and what we've mm-hmm. go ahead. Just, just, what we've gotten to is the same, a very very similar worldview that we had before we went on this materialist trip which is the world is made of information, which is exactly what the world that the alchemists believed in, and that, in a sense, matter is condensed information. Now, some of you are going, no, Ari, the world's made out of energy. Okay, energy, information, it's two ways of saying the same thing, really. It really comes down to uh, mathematical, trying to trying to predict where something's going to end up mathematically with probabilities. You're back to information. So... A world of uh, spirits, uh, a world of uh, magical intent. My question is, does does information have to become matter first in order to become conscious? Because we know you're conscious. We know you're made of matter. But quantum physics says that ultimately, uh, underneath the matter, as information fields, probabilities, things popping in and out of existence, or can information simply become conscious without first becoming matter? If it can, you're back to your world of spirits. You're back to the world where um, of the alchemists where where objects are condensed concepts. Do you know what I mean? Where, so, where mm-hmm. science is mapped around to a worldview where if you take the time to understand these things on their own terms, we're much closer to our ancestors than we even are to the people of uh, 60 years ago. So, okay. So here's my response. So um, your, your two things about science. The first one is you said that um, science has two faith-based arguments, which I, I disagree with. Yep. The first one is okay. that you said it, it always wants something new. I don't think that's true. I think science no, no, is no. always looking for something more accurate by tests. No, no, no. I said it's um, always good to find out more stuff. Science believes knowledge is uh, the pursuit of knowledge is good for its own sake. Well, I, I don't, um, what I mean by that, I, I don't see any argument that. against that. And then, and then, no. And the, the, the well, the only argument against the, the only argument against that is that you would want to stay ignorant because you cherish your current worldview, which is what I would argue. That's that, right. So I would argue that magical people are doing that. The magical worldview, although it's one hundred percent false, they're clinging to because it makes them feel special, or they're attached to it for some reason, or it's their heritage, and they don't want to give it well, up. Let me address that. Well, let me let me uh, hold on. I, I'll uh, I'll give you. I want to. I'll address all of your points and then just hand it back to you completely. Okay. So um, <laughs> okay, and then I'll just let you run. So, um, so the second one is, um, that given enough time that we can unlock the universe's secrets, that, that sounds like a hype tagline on science when it first came out. But I think in, Mm. I don't think that scientists believe that we can unlock all the secrets of the universe. I just think that, um, and I completely agree with them, um, that science is our best tool for finding out more. I don't think any scientist believes we will ultimately unlock the universe. Certainly not. No, in our they lifetime. no longer do. But right, that was the scientific project. 
So, but that's right. But, but again, with science always improves and, and science, we now know that that's not possible. And so science has moved on as it's designed to do. And so the last thing you were talking about information, energy, uh, quantum Mm -hmm. fields, I will point out a couple things. One is the idea that the world, first of all, people, magical people love to throw around the word quantum, I know, which they don't understand. (laughs) And I think that a lot of times when people, and this causes serious problems, I think in society, a lot of times when people start talking about the multiverse theory or information Uh, theory, hold on, and simulation theory and all of this, what they're really talking about is interpretations of the Copenhagen experiment. These are thought experiments to explain the double slit um, experiment. That doesn't mean that they're real. And quite likely, if you listen to actual physicists, um, they think that probably there's just something wrong with, at this point, they probably think that there's just something wrong with the double slit experiment, not that it proves some type of magic. It's just that we did it wrong. And so I offer this. Um, a lot of what you're saying about science catching up with magic, I also disagree with, and this is what I mean. Mm. A lot of these ideas we have now about multiverse theory or quantum fields or um, anything that starts to sound new agey largely comes from string theory. And string theory mm. is a subcategory of a subcategory with a tiny, tiny fringe area in physics that is frankly not taken seriously at all by modern physicists. They don't believe in the multiverse, like actual physicists, Nobel Prize winners. They don't believe any of this stuff. The people that believe in this stuff are people like Michio Kaku, who are not scientists. They're mathematicians who are generally running around spewing this Deepak Chopra bullshit to make money. So I have to disagree with you there. I think that the modern, where physics is currently is actually much more deterministic. Um, and not non-woo. And I think the most woo thing perhaps in modern physics is the possibility that, um, not that there's a multiverse, but, and I'm talking about, I'm referencing Roger Penrose who's a Nobel, Nobel uh, Prize winning physicist, um, that, that there was likely a universe before this one that they can infer, but that's about as woo as it gets. Cool. So um, firstly, I'd like to address a couple of things. You are somewhat projecting a new age point of view on me that I don't hold. But you said you believe in magic. I mean, how is that different? No, I don't believe in magic. Oh, well then, our, magic. well, if you don't believe in magic, then our, <laughs> our, our conversation is over. Okay, great. We, neither of us believe in magic. So problem solved. <laughs> okay, what do I mean by this? Um, our very concept of the word belief uh, is, is misunderstood by people. In the um, generally speaking, people don't really care what you think is true. Uh, they, if you want to see how someone, uh, what someone believes, watch how they behave in the world. People behave as if magical phenomena is true. My question is, do they get something out of it? Is there a practical value to that? But before I get into that, let's just address some of these other things. Multiverse theory, string theory. I didn't bring these up. These are these are your things. I, I I totally agree with you. The fringe things are over there that produced very little real world uh, scientific results. I've read the same things you have. I think. Okay. So I, I'm I'm not here to discuss multiverse theory. I think it is something that gets used by fiction more than it gets used by science. I'm not a particularly yep. huge fan of Marvel movies and things like that. <laughs> yes. Um, quantum fields. Um, I am not trying to make predictions. I'm not saying that, um, I'm not even saying that your consciousness imparts 
uh, a reality onto particles. I'm just saying that when you get down to the small things, the materialist model falls apart and we get back to some sort of information fields. But what I'm not trying to do is uh, explain, come up with a model for the scientists and try and shoehorn science into that. Right. Um, Yeah. So you, you mentioned that, you know, people behave as if magic is real. And I completely agree with you on that. There was a great book that uh, Carl Sagan wrote in the 90s that you may know called The Demon Haunted World, which is about (laughs) how it's a great, great book that I recommend everyone actually. Uh, It's basically this long lamentation about how all the gains we made through science are being lost to people wanting instead to believe in astrology and fundamentalism. And, And I would argue now that since the mid 90s, the world has become so utterly fundamentalist. Um, you know, it's religious fundamental, religiously fundamental, it's political, political fundamentalism on both sides. And um, it's becoming much more like that. So I agree with you completely that people behave as if magic is real. I don't think that's controversial. I think that people have been doing that for all human history. However, my response to that is that's bad. That's bad. And, and I think that we have science now, which gives us something more useful. So you say that magic people can walk around behaving as if magic is real and they'll get certain um, results. And I, I've read, I think there's like a guy named Crowley or something like that, who, who, who said something <laughs> like magic is, uh, you know, um, um, changing conformity with will or whatever like that. And, and like, okay, great. But, but don't you think it would work better if instead of walking around I'm like, I'm sure you can walk around believing in magic and getting results. And, and Crowley said something like, if you do magic, you will just get certain results and deal with it. But um, don't you think that we get better results if they believe something that's true and acted on something that's true instead of a wishful thinking fantasy from the past? Cool. Okay. Give me a, give like, me a few like I agree with you. I just yeah. think that's the problem with the world right now. Yeah. You think it's a bad thing. I think it's an unavoidable thing that's neutral that offers of, often offers good things, sometimes offers bad things. Cool. So um, the first thing is everyone, everybody's a magical thinker. The people who think they're rational all the time are, uh, are, are lying to themselves or they're a little bit exuberant. So uh, let me list off some things that are magical thinking that people don't normally think of. Uh, the entire entirety of money and uh, currency systems is uh, based on faith-based values. Uh, a $20 bill is, what? what is, a, what is $20? I argue it's 20 trust tokens. Our ancestors decided, uh, you have baskets, I have eggs, I, um, I want apples. <laughs> how, do we, uh, how do we sort this out? So by having a neutral trade medium money trust tokens a certificate saying i owe you a certain amount of value but it's entirely a faith-based value money is uh, akin to a religious belief and if you want to see what happens when that faith uh, falls apart uh look at historically something like the east deutsche mark um they were by the end where uh burning marks in their fireplace because uh, the dollar bill the the money was cheaper than paper but it gets worse than that our laws are faith-based uh they're based on morality systems all authority is faith-based a police officer there's there's more people than there are police officers um the only reason that 
unless a police officer is actually pointing a gun at you, that they can make uh, that, that that they can make you do certain things is because we all agree um, that we don't all sort of storm them all at once. It's just it's like every kid who went to school had this thought. It's like, well, there's only like one teacher for every 30, 40 kids. The kids could take over the school. I'm, I think every kid has thought that at some point. But every kid trusts the teacher just a little bit more than the other kids. And so that that faith-based construct creates a whole real uh, set of behaviors in society that we treat as real. We treat money as real. We treat authority as real. These are what I call uh, useful fictions. This comes from the philosopher Hans Weinger. He came up with the term useful fictions. These are a type of magical thinking that we do all the time. Magical thinking frequently produces real-world results, and the philosophical underpinning of my argument is the philosophy of pragmatism, especially that uh, put forth by the philosopher William James, who's an American philosopher. And that is, and science is also pragmatic. Pragmatism is the approach that says, the approach to truth that says that truth should be measured by its practical applications. This means if something can be shown to do something repeatedly, then something about it must be true, even if we can't come up with a perfect explanation. And and science is trying to do that in scientific testing, produce repeatable results so that you can make real-world predictions. And that's what science is. It's about making predictions. Magicians are trying to do the same thing, except almost always they are trying to manipulate their own subjectivity or the subjectivity of other people. Um, And where this produces real-world results is there's so much information whizzing past your head, uh, and your sensory system is a filter. For instance, you only can see a small section of the electromagnetic spectrum as light and therefore you have to make decisions about what you pay attention to um the first way to understand uh, a practical uh beneficial result of magical thinking is to realize that if you're not getting what you want you can change the way you're paying attention and that can change your ability to act in the world okay so i agree with you uh, completely. I don't come to your can- same conclusions. So you're talking about, you know, people, all, and basically nobody is rational. Most of them are kind of lying to themselves or over exuberant and are operating on something subjective that is not objective. I, I completely agree with you on that. Um, I think that almost everyone is um, irrational, that they're acting on, you're, they're reacting to emotions and that Um, they haven't thought things through and that modern belief systems can be including money. Like you point out are just as faith, just as faith based in many cases as these older systems. And I think that anyone who's lived through the kind of barbarism of the last three years can see that clearly that just because we have iPhones does not mean that we're not superstitious and our thinking is not bad. My argument. So, so my, but what I take from that is not that therefore nothing can be rational and we should revel in irrationalism and, and kind of mental illness. My argument is, well, this is what the scientific method is for. The point, the scientific method begins with understanding this, that people are irrational, that they, they are acting on faith-based 
arguments. And that is why we have the scientific method to find out what's real and to completely as much as possible separate it from human biases because we know we're all biased. We're, we know we're all biased. And that's why we have to have systems to remove ourselves from it because no human on their own can just simply shut off their bias. It's, it's just not possible. And um, you mentioned that truth is measured by practical use. I I, I, I just think that's wrong. I think that truth is truth. Yeah. There's, you know, it's like just be, you know, you can make measurements about the ellipt, you know, the orbit of a foreign celestial body and there's no practical use, but it's still true. And I will also even make a sociological argument on that, that if you take the, if you start from the argument that truth can only be measured by practical use, well, enacted in the real world, what that means is now science becomes completely beholden to the business world because now it only exists to create things of practical use um well that will not increase that might increase the comfort of humanity but it will not increase its knowledge and that so pr things that are practical is only a subset of things that are true so um example being you know advanced astrophysics advanced mathematics we're looking for the fundamental um, we're looking for fundamental truths that may be utterly impractical uh, but we need to find them anyways so uh my argument that I return is simply that I agree with you. And what I take from that is that is why we should absolutely embrace scientific thinking. And as much as possible these days, particularly in the age of AI, data-driven learning, um, rather than, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's the alternative, like putting on face paint and waving your hands around at, at a festival or something. Like how, like, what is that? Uh, the alternative for anyone? what? Like what is the, well, what was my choice? well, you know, you're talking about magic and things like that. And it's like, okay, so in the real world, what you're saying is people should stop doing real science and should like stick bones in the no, nose and, and wave their hands <laughs> in the air at, on ketamine at festivals. And that's somehow better or something like that. Oh, absolutely not. No. So I, I deeply respect science just like you. What I'm saying is, uh, I think you're trying to expand science. You have a faith in science that that extends beyond it's a bit what it's got its ability to do where where uh science is expensive takes a lot of um effort and we can't do science all the time it, it's wrong to raise your child like a scientific experiment <laughs> do you know what i mean it's going to produce problems it's wrong to love your wife as a scientific experiment there's other modes of human thought that produce um real knowledge and the idea that scientific knowledge is the only path to truth or, the, or even the, the greatest one is the concept scientism scientism is a misapplication of science uh, a couple of things science depends on philosophy to even ask what is a scientific question which has evolved over time two you said um that we got to look at the if you look at the orbits of a some sort of planetary body and you're saying that's not practical well well firstly to do the measuring of the orbits, you're relying on numbers. And when numbers are not material in the first instance, that was a lot of what the alchemists were saying back in the day. So we're relying on this level of reality that has no materiality in order to be materialist, which is a little strange in the first place, uh, that science is so dependent on math, and yet there is no objective reality to the number two. It's a, it's a symbolic reality, not an objective one. Um, the other one, you jumped on uh, this idea of practical use. No, I, I, I meant real-world results. 
real world results. So if you that do doesn't something, change my argument. And it, sorry? that doesn't change my argument. It doesn't. Okay. Okay. So um, if you look at the problems of our age, as 20th century people, we were sort of taught the year 2000 is the fu- date of the future. There was the whole Y2K thing that uh, you and I remember. And we were kind of told through uh, media that either uh, we were going to end up with a a technological version of God's kingdom on earth, that is, that we'll have a bunch of robots to do all the work for us and and humans can just play in the sunshine. And um, that's sort of the Star Trek universe. Star Trek was sort of the projection of of a utopian future or um, the thing that people are, and I've heard you worried about this today, the idea that computers and artificial intelligence will take over the world and eventually decide that human beings aren't needed. And that's the Terminator two universe. Um, I think both of these, both of, both of those are um, deeply problematic faith-based constructs that very much uh, mirror the imprinted religious ideas that we previously had, you know, God's kingdom on earth for Star Trek and um, Armageddon on earth for Terminator 2. Uh, what we are seeing in these, uh, and, and, and the reason things look so dark in this age is because the, the 20th century views and actually the views going right back to humanism, so sort of a 500-year turnover, um, it's, it's a massive loss of faith in those values. That's what we're seeing. So nobody believes that investment in technology and science alone will like heal the environment now. We actually have to change people's values and how they uh, behave in the world. Um, no one believes, you know, a lot of the political constructs we put in base to stop war, we're losing faith in those at the moment. And so warring factions are moving in. And I don't want to get too into the details of that, but it's interesting as a meta thing. So whatever we do to change our values to solve these problems, and I believe we will, um, you know, we'll move through some tension. Those changes of faith-based values, those changes in behavior, the changes of our philosophy, it's going to look like magical thinking to people who grew up in the scientific age. Okay. So here's my counter. Um, My my first immediate counter is... um, should we indeed leave something that you refer to as the scientific age, uh, then it will only be to plunge backwards into barbarism and <laughs> darkness. Uh, I, I can think of m- few more frightening phrases than the end of the scientific age. I mean, that to me just sounds like the fundamentalist win. Um, so here I, I'm going to address a few points. Um, you say that science science is more expensive and requires more effort. Um, yeah, you get what you pay for. Right. It's like just because it's expensive and requires effort, uh, like the Hadron Collider or something like that. And by the way, that's only one. That's only some scientific experiments. It's certainly not all of them. You can do a kids. Oh, no, kids can do scientific experiments. So um, just because it's, you know, it just because it's expensive and it takes effort uh, is certainly not an argument against it. In fact, it's, it's an argument that uh, we're, we're perhaps for it. Um, you mention scientism. And I agree with you there. And I think that what scientism is, is um, another symptom of this superstition, which is people who don't understand science looking at science um, and taking it as on a faith-based 
basis because and, and and i agree with you that it's face that it's faith-based however that's not actually science that's just the perception of the public at times who is science that is the product of scientific illiteracy and so if anything that's simply an argument for more scientific education example um I, I i apart from the very last thing you said i'm 100 percent with you and 100 okay. agree and that that was my actual point okay great yep. so so for me it's just well you know science scientism is um, an inevitable effect of handing something real to superstitious people. They will make a superstition out of it, but that's not an argument against science. It's an argument for more science. Um, you mentioned, and a case in point on that, you mentioned journalism, journalists and the media giving us a certain view of science. Well, I've worked as a journalist. I know how, and the way that journalists report on science is they pull whatever is the latest story from sciencedaily.com or PLOS or something like that and they report it, but journalists are also scientifically illiterate. And they often report, for instance, sociological studies as scientific truth. They report reviews of literature as scientific truth. And this is where we get things like people thinking the multiverse is an actual proven fact. It's not, it's just a thought experiment. And so a lot of damage is caused by journalists who are scientifically illiterate um, or, or not fully literate, and that's certainly not all of them, but it is quite a few of them reporting things inaccurately. But but that's not a comment on the study they're commenting on. It's a comment on their ability to summarize it, and that does the public a bit of a disservice. You also mentioned... I 100% agree with that, too. Okay, great. You also mentioned alchemists. Okay, well, this is a perfect case in point because alchemy produced exactly nothing. Um, despite most of the alchemists being threatened with death if they couldn't produce gold by the various monarchs of, of Europe. And in my read of alchemy, um, they were unable to deliver. And so therefore, they fell back on this kind of like, well, it's kind of a metaphor and all that to try and save their, their face and possibly lives. But this is a perfect example. Alchemy failed, but from it was born chemistry, which worked. So why would we go back to the why would we go back to the drawing board? We have the thing that worked. We don't need to go back to the blueprint, you know, the the, the iteration of experiment that didn't work. It's basically like saying let's like roll back 400 years of progress and 10,000 iterations plus, you know, to go back to the original thing that didn't work in the first place. The th it's like replacing the solution for the problem. Um and you mentioned objective reality of numbers. I would argue um that that is something that is the province of scientism. And I'm talking about this multiverse debate because I just kind of watched this debate between Michio Kaku and yeah. Roger Penrose and um, another physicist. Um, this is actually the modern physicist argument against, um, for instance, string theory, which they see as just simply a, a con. I think it kind of is. Just just to be fair to me, I, I'm not I got you, got you. Okay. Or, or, or multiverse. And okay, I, so, I, I share all your concerns. Okay, got it, got it, got it. So I'm just, yeah. I'm just picking on this just because I watched a YouTube yeah. on this two days ago. So I'm I also taking... think it's, I also think it's fringy science. I also think it's spent 70 years, string theory in particular spent however long it is, 60 years, um, producing very, very little results. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think this is, and, and we could have been doing better science with those resources. I, and, I agree anyway. with you. And I, and I think that that's a perfect example of, chasing magical thinking being an utter dead end and i think that and a waste of time for everyone and unfortunately the thing about string theory i know that you're not into it but the thing about string theory as an example is it's captured the kind of to your point where so one of your points is that 
subjective, you know, magic is, uh, magic is the ability to affect consciousness, to change subjective reality, to change people's meaning of, of how they see things. Um, well, I would argue, you know, that's psychology and, and advertising and, and if we want to call it magic, okay, great. But I would argue that that's not good either because, and strength theory is a perfect example because, because of Marvel movies, like you mentioned and things like this, the public has been convinced that it's real and that it's the cutting edge of science. And it just isn't, it's a, it's a, it's a dead end, but the public believes it. So that basically shows that what you're saying where the sub subjectivity of people can be manipulated. I just certainly don't agree with that. Um, I just think that that's bad and, and that's why we have the scientific method, hopefully to get around that. Um, and, and one, the other reason I bring up string theory in this case is because string theorists do believe in the objective reality of numbers. They kind of have this platonic view of them. Oh, cool. Interesting. Right? Yeah. They, they have this view of the objective reality of numbers because they're mostly mathematicians and actual yeah. physicists are like, no, that is silly. That's platonic <laughs> thinking, right? Like no, there is no objective reality to numbers. That's bizarre. So, um, just one, just yeah. one thing. So I'll hand, I'll hand it back the... to you actually. Go ahead. Just so we can get off the stepping stone, and um, you can reply to this. Um, science depends on a couple of things. It depends on the philosophy of science. Do you agree? No, I think it depends on the scientific method, which is not a philosophy but a working method. Okay, the the very question, "What is a scientific question?" is a little harder than than non scientists understand, um, and it has evolved over time. We didn't just suddenly. Uh, it like people often like Karl Popper and his idea of falsifiability, but it's it's still not a perfect scientific framework for what is a scientific question. So, it, like I have a friend who's a um, a philosopher of science, you know, travels the world doing it. So, uh, philosophy has an ongoing interaction with science, and uh, I argue that you can't actually progress science without that. People seem to have this idea that. Uh, scientific um, frameworks sort of got frozen in history and now they're good for the rest of time. But especially in the light of uh, our like quite massive changes in our entire cosmology, um, you know, quantum physics and things like that, it, it completely changes the types of questions and the types of uh, things you might want to frame as a scientific question. And I don't want to go too much into de details about that because um, I'm the wrong person to ask. But it, it is it is a thing. Um, do you, well, okay. Do you so, so basically, you're saying that the methodology and you're basically what you're saying is the discourse of science has advanced. And okay, I, I yeah, great. It's advanced by experiment, right? So of course, even the philosophy too. Well, everything has to be testable. And basically, what my response is that you're pointing i think that what you're trying to do is point at parts of what we think as objective that are actually subjective am i correct in that uh th that's part of the game i'm playing yeah i'm trying to point out a lot, a lot of the things okay here's a here's the important thing okay objectivity is not something you generally achieve objectivity is an ideal you orientate yourself towards in order that you can uh, come up with better probabilities in order that you can make come up with better predictions so more objective is more certain. Cool. But because uh, this is why stage magic's an interesting inroad to this. Do you know about the uh, experiments that um, that uh, Banachek and um, James Randi did with the uh, um, with that science lab for for a couple of years? 
remind me. Not the details. No, No, there was a science. uh, This is in my book somewhere, but I've forgotten. But anyway, if you look up Banachek, who was a stage magician, and um, he he was a young guy. He hooked up with James Randi, the skeptic, who's a bit problematic. But anyway, um, and they ran for uh, about two years a uh, a scam. A stage magic scam on a laboratory lab uh, involving uh, spoon bending, um, moving um, items around inside a inside of a sort of a glass object, things like that. And it was all tricks. It was all stage, sleight of hand and uh, magnets and all sorts of things. But they fooled these scientists for two years to the point where they were um, actually delivering their results at a conference. And and the um, the magicians got up and, uh, and and debunked it and said no we've been lying to you the whole time, um, and this shows a very um, the reason they were able to do that is because science can only do science on repeatable results, um, otherwise it's just a blip in your data. So you might get a measurement, you might get a radio wave from another planet or something. And it, it it looks and it you know and it's it's like the wow signal. Do you know about that one? Which was a radio wave from another. One. Oh, I don't. It doesn't know. matter. But you you might get a blip. You might get you might get a radar of some sort of sea monster or something. But you if you never get it ever again, if you never get the evidence ever again, you can't say anything scientific about it. Right. So in order for a, a scientific experiment to be possible, it has to um, have repeatable phenomena. The problem is, is that um, unrepeatable phenomena is actually moderately common. So there's a lot of things that are very hard to do science on because they might only happen once every thousand years or so. Okay. So then my response... So object, go ahead. Objectivity is an, something you orientate yourself towards. Mm-hmm. It's not something you generally atri- achieve with any degree of perfection. Okay, so I, I agree with that. And I think the scientific method begins from that proposition. It begins from the proposition that we don't know anything and that we can only progress towards knowing something by uh, uh, iterating experiments. Um, I would say as far as James Randi, the fact that an entertainer was able to fool a scientist does not prove magic. It fools. It proves that the scientist was incompetent. Oh, okay. no, I'm arguing for your side oh, I see. in this. Okay, okay. so yeah. well, okay, so, so, so that's basically my point. Um, I'm saying this, but I'm saying I'm trying to point out that there's because James Randi is a total, he was a total materialist. He wasn't a particularly nice well, guy. Well, good. I'm a total materialist. Him. You know, it's like like he maybe yeah. hopefully he was debunking My some point of his is new age that, stuff. Um, he was able to fool the scientists um, by trickery. He was a trickster. He wasn't a a a, a someone who believed. He was a materialist, um, which shows it shows the difficulty of 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 even running objective. I, I disagree with that. And we, we don't know the whole de- data there. I'll, I'll just go back to what I said, which is if an entertainer was able to introduce false data into an experiment yeah. and sway the scientist, it proves nothing other than the scientist was incompetent and the experiment was designed in such a way right. that allowed the admission of false data. So that really no, doesn't shows, show anything. It shows that, um, <laughs> It shows the difficulty of 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 running a perfect experiment. That the suggestion is, and it's only a suggestion, that if they were able to do that, that um, and this is true. This is why we have peer review and things like this. Mm-hmm. That uh, that it's quite easy to get the wrong idea. Well, I would in say some scientific tests, especially if they're not say, uh, badly done. 
I would say in response to that, then, well, it's good that they did that for the following reason. Right. That sounds kind of like like uh, penetration testing uh, for computers where you hire hackers to try and hack your app or your system to see if they can do it. So basically, if uh, if James Randi was able to demonstrate to the scientists that he could hack his experiment, well, great. He's just shown a flaw in how the experiment was, was constructed, fix the flaw and run it again. I, I agree. So um, you said uh, alchemy produced nothing, that they were embarrassed that they couldn't produce gold. It, and, and you say that sci- it's good that science moved away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a misinterpretation of my what I was saying too. I'm not saying we should go back to alchemy. I'm saying we have inadvertently ended up back in places that are similar to where alchemy was. So what I mean was is after the alchemical experiments where they couldn't produce gold, um, it was assumed that things were fixed. They came up with this idea of elements in the in the periodic table sense, and that these were like the um, irreducible um, parts of matter. And uh, we now live in a universe where you can make gold from lead, and it, they did it in um, one of those large colliders uh, of the same type as the large hadron collider but, but that's okay um, it, well that's it, cool it, but that's recent just, that's not the alchemy al- that's not alchemy it's the large hadron collider no no i agree inadvertently the alchemists were a little bit right in that they believed in a universe where it is possible to turn other elements into gold specifically lead and that modern science has achieved that what the alchemists were wrong about philosophically they were correct you can produce gold out of lead philosophically they um their only problem was they radically misunderstood how much energy it takes to do that and one other small problem the gold you end up with is an unstable isotope that eventually turns back into uh, lead so the universe doesn't like you doing that It, it 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 goes back into lead after a while but it is possible we live in a universe in which it's possible for uh, lead to be turned into gold, and so, the alchemists were correct about that. Okay, great. So then, um, this is actually a great a great way to approach this. Then, so yeah, here, I think maybe what we're looking at here is the difference between bad science or bad proto science and good science. So back in the alchemy days, um, they were trying, they were trying to like basically they were starting with their an overwhelming goal which was financially incentivized it's like they were trying they weren't starting with the question they were starting with the answer right and this is really bad it's bad in the business world it's bad in life right to begin okay. with something that you are um like you only want one answer and for whatever reason whether it's monetary whether it's financial whether it's faith-based you're trying to manipulate stuff to get that and that's clearly the case with alchemy largely because most of them were told by royalty we will literally murder you if you don't produce gold because they thought that would motivate them well um now in terms of the hadron collider now that's interesting because what happened there is they arrived at the result that the alchemists were aiming for at least momentarily Mm. but they arrived there by successive experiment not by starting with the answer They, they they got there by starting with the question and testing hypotheses and eventually they arrived at something i don't even know if they were trying to do that or not um and and so that basically shows you that one of those approaches worked and one didn't and that just shows that the scientific method is the thing that actually produces and delivers 
Okay, before you have a scientific test, you have to have a hypothesis, and that's where the creativity enters in science. And if you look through in history, you'll find um, these things don't make it to scientific papers because you're only supposed to write certain kinds of information in scientific papers. But there's also you you can come up with a scientific hypothesis any way you want, any creative way. You can get it from a dream. You can get it from an LSD trip. These things have happened occasionally in science. Um, it's the testing that that proves it true or untrue. My point is that um, inadvertently, I'm not saying science should become this. I'm not saying people should do this. I'm saying inadvertently we've ended up in a culture where this stuff has happened anyway. Science has done an about turn and ended up with a world that's made of information, which is closer to the alchemical point of view um, by accident, but it's interesting. And that in these older forms, there are hypotheses that turned out to be um, validated and that the alchemists were right that the universe allows you to turn lead into gold, though it's harder than they thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've ended up, it's not that we should, it, I'm not trying to say, I'm saying it's going to happen anyway. Um, magical thinking is neutral and I'm not, you're trying to, you've been arguing as if I think it's a good thing. You can use magical thinking to fuck up your life mm-hmm. and you can also use it to make your life more, uh, more successful, more interesting because, uh, people are going to do it anyway. And generally, you well, know, people are going to do heroin anyway. So I don't, I don't know right. if that's an argument for And there's either. good and bad ways to do heroin. No, there's all, I'm sorry, wait, 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 wait. Let me stop you there. There are only bad ways to do heroin. Okay. No, just give me... Okay. No, no, just... Uh, I mean, it was originally... I don't mean that people should go out and do it. I mean that it was originally designed as a medical drug. And and is abused even as a medical drug. So oh, that, yeah. that I get. Yeah, it's, it's useful in a medical context. But that that's itself right. shows you that why there needs to be scientific controls on things and testing and things like that. And you can't just throw, you know, just open up the floodgates. So, um, we can't do science on everything. We, uh, science has a poor yet, model for yet, consciousness yet. as a poor model. But psychology but is generally but, not science. No, I agree with you. It tries to be scientific. But scientific and, science uh, never says it has the answer. It doesn't say we have the answer for these. It says that the, but the only way we're going to get to the answer is by experiment. It never started so outside, from this proposition that it knew everything. Outside of this, you're left with magical thinking in many cases. Yeah, you so, are, and uh, that's that's what we're trying to get rid of. So the no the 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 choice. Uh, I'm sorry, Jason. The choice is not between objectivity and magical thinking. The, <laughs> the choice is between. Um, worse magical thinking and better magical thinking oh, oh well like you could spend how, well wait how is the scientific method better magical thinking that doesn't make sense no 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 science is over there we agree on that but um for the rest of the time you can't do science on whether you love your girlfriend you can't do science on do you know what I mean? well i disagree with you because you can you no i actually <laughs> totally disagree with you because when you're when you're in love you have more of the oxytocin hormone which can be tested in a blood test or you can do an mri and see the changes in somebody's brain and i will say this just because we can't currently measure something doesn't mean that we won't in the future and we'll get to the thing in the future uh, by progressive the, what experiment. i said at the beginning what, i did say that at the beginning i made the I, I said science has a faith-based value that if you just the scientific institution, I should say, that if you just had enough time that you'd unlock all the secrets of okay, the universe. Okay, but that's not what I said. 
what I said was we start from the proposition that we don't know anything and we may not know everything, but the only way that we can actually get somewhere valid is by um, progressive experimentation. Science, I don't think ever says that we're going to learn everything. It might have 200 years ago, well, but it certainly doesn't now. You just now. propose that, oh, given enough time, we'll understand, uh, we'll be able to reduce love to chemicals. We, we'll already, to can. we already can. We already can. So, so Have you ever okay, taken just, ecstasy? I haven't, no. Uh, well, love is, I, chemically, I love is chemically inducible. So yeah, we absolutely can. So uh, you've decided to date a woman, and good on you, but instead of uh, in, in taking some chemicals. What do you mean? So... So what if 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 it's all chemical, if it's all reductionistic, you know? Because I actually think your uh, you know, I don't want to get personal. I think a relationship between one person and another is actually on many levels. So the societal level, it's an interpersonal level. All of these things, you can't just reduce it to freaking oxytocin, well, 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 or you would have continued to take MDMA, and you wouldn't maybe, actually be maybe be in a relationship. Maybe you don't want. Oh, I didn't say keep taking MDMA. Um, maybe one of the, maybe what's more likely is you don't want it to be reduced because it quite likely it can't, can be. It can't be. No, it can. Love is a physical, you know, you may have all these meanings you've put on top of these chemicals, but at the end of the day, and you, it, it, love is not Shakespeare sonnets. And those, those are all human, that, that part is magical thinking. There's nothing objective about it. It, it is magical thinking. But, yes. but love is objective and can be measured and induced even. So... So I disagree. And, and I will say okay, well, that, and I will say that, um, you know, you're kind of saying that maybe faith, science makes a faith-based argument because it will get to know everything. I don't think that it makes that claim. Uh, I think that most modern physicists don't make that claim or scientists don't make that claim. I will say, okay. however, well, hold on. I will, I will say, my trip. hold on a second. <laughs> I will say, however, that you are making a faith-based argument, which is that um, we are somehow progressing towards a future, you said post-science age, that we're progressing towards magical thinking, that things are going to come back to the way that they were. Um, prove it. Prove it. Okay, I don't want to get rid of science, so that's not a view I hold. So this, most of this debate has been framed as if I'm uh, negating science or I think science well, is a Well, bad don't thing. you think that putting out the idea of magical thinking into the public will automatically like be a bad thing for society and kind of push them away okay, from I, more rational thinking? I, I addressed this before, but you skipped over it. Okay. I'm afraid your choice, and you you kind of almost agreed with this, but then you, you missed it. The choice, Jason, is not between no magical thinking and magical thinking. The choice is between better magical thinking and worse magical thinking, because magical thinking is going to happen anyway. So those people, now you're somewhat of a motivational uh, life coach, I believe. How dare you? Degree, right? How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I've heard you've, I've, uh, you've, you've, you know, I, I'm just sitting here. Okay. <laughs> I'm just a guy making a living. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you've, you've, you've some, you sometimes presented yourself in that way. Um, which is fine. Um, so if someone's magical thinking is I'm, I'm such a, an idiot, uh, nobody loves me, blah, blah, blah. Then what's wrong with change with replacing that magical thinking with something that actually allows them to improve their mood, get well, something well, done, that's feel just, better about themselves? That's just psychology. That's just psychology, not voodoo. Yeah, that's right. So why right. why why are you calling that magic? I mean, I get that as like it's cool and artistic; it makes you sound cool. But like that's like why do we need to like throw this silly word into actual disciplines like psychology? 
Because if you call it psychology and separate it from magic, then you complete you you're drawing a line in history, and this is this is the the problem with scientism. You're drawing a line in history where you're saying, and you you said this earlier, where everyone before this time was very very stupid, and I'm not even going to bother looking at how they saw the world or what they got out of it. And now we're very smart, and we're projected towards a better future where because we know more stuff, it's definitely going to turn out real well. Well, uh, if you look at uh, the things that uh, the ancients achieved. Like, for instance, I live in New Zealand, right? And this is a Pacific island. And before, um, the greatest sailors on Earth, bar none, were the Polynesians until uh, the Europeans invented a very special type of clockwork that works on the ocean. The the Polynesians got all the way to South America. Wow. Without science. Uh, The word kumara, which is our word for sweet potato, it's the Maori word for sweet potato, Maori being our indigenous people. Um, it's not actually a Polynesian word. Um, the word for kumara in the Peruvian languages is one of the words they use is kumara. So it, it turns out to be uh, a word that's of South American, um, native South American etymology. Uh, they have the genetics. They know that. Okay, so they got they got that far, right? They got all the way. Uh, the Maori language is nearly mutually intelligible with Hawaiian, and it's nearly mutual, mutually intelligible with the language of Rapa Nui, which uh, most people know as Easter Island. Go look on a map and see how far those places are from each other. The Pacific Ocean is like a third, third of the entire world's surface or something. These people did that without being without any of your modern science. So well, what I'm saying is the that the ability and wisdom of the past. It looks like magical thinking, but there's stuff in there that's usable. Um, they did all of that without clockwork. Okay, well, well, I I don't disagree with that, and and I think that you know prior basically prior to science, it's not like people weren't trying to do stuff, but they were kind of fumbling around in the dark. All this other magical thinking was mixed up in it. But, you know, it's like modern science, yeah, is a modern construction that is a refinement of uh, the way that people do things to re- to remove errors as much as possible. And it allows us to do things much more precise and much more quickly. And so, yeah, um, Polynesians might have sailed uh, around the world. The Egyptians built pyramids. This doesn't prove magic. Yeah. It just proves that they solved a couple of engineering problems uh, and and that's great and but all you need to do is look at the progress of the world since the birth of science which it's moved almost infinitely greater it's changed in almost infinitely greater orders of magnitude than the entire time before that so basically what i'm saying is yeah we had things that kind of worked and we were fumbling around in the dark finally we found something that really worked and we got our game on and we got our shit together why would we want to go back okay so i take some exception to the phrase fumbled about <laughs> i but i do agree with you that things have progressed order of magnitude but you're placing a value on um other types of uh technology i think is the right word for it that that doesn't come as a result of science well no no, no. well hold on 
it came from human beings physically manipulating the human world. It came from engineering. It's just that science is a discipline that came later that allowed us to refine it. It doesn't mean that people putting together boats were like violating the laws of physics or something like that. So the uh, Polynesian, um, and I only, I only know a little bit about this, but if you, you can go and study how to be a Polynesian navigator in the modern world. There's a course in Hawaii. The whole thing was reconstructed by an incredible guy called Malpialuk, who was a, um, a Micronesian um, guy who'd been tra- trained in the tradition of uh, navigation. You, But go look at what they're doing. It's going to look like magical thinking to you. They uh they base their map. We base our maps on paper. They base their map on on a fishing net, um, so they create a, a a fishing net that's spread out between sticks, and it's got little pebbles and um, shells and things. And it, it's a map. You hold it up to the sky, and sort of like overlay it on the sky, and it and that helps you know where you are. Okay, but uh, I, would, I, would, like- I would hazard a guess that if you took that system and took everything that looked like magic or superstition out of it, it would still work and you would realize that all that superstition was just cultural gloss laid on top of whatever whatever thing it was that they figured out. Okay, I'll give you another example. That this but, is but one I mean, of you, you agree mar- that that's probably true, right? Sir? You agree that that's probably true, right? I mean, just because they dress, they put nice decoration on it doesn't mean that it somehow violates physics. Right. It's like what I'm oh, saying. Oh, no, no, is, it doesn't violate physics. I'm saying it looks like magical thinking to outsiders. Well, everything prior to science looks like magical thinking to outsiders because that's what it was. Exactly. So uh, we have something better now. Why would we want to go back to the. It's basically like, okay, did, did like. Did the internet work in 1996? Yeah. Would you want to use the internet? Would you want to go to spacejam? You can see how the internet was in 1996 by going to spacejam.com if you ever want to do that. Did it work? Yes. Did it produce certain results? Yes. Would I ever want to go back to it? Fuck no. Okay. We have way better shit now. Yeah. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Um, th- this is the sort of uh, belief in, in what, progression. What do we have now? That's what do we have now? That's worse than the past. In terms of um, uh, in terms of science, not political. Well, I'm or hearing a lot a very dismissive attitude to the achievements of of other cultures. No, no, no. I'm not dismissing uh, it. I'm just saying that that's the past. But We've they moved actually on. did this. Well, they yeah, actually yeah, got all. No, I'm not saying that they didn't. I'm just saying that that was something that worked then, and we have better stuff now. We built. That's the same with all cultures. We built on our successes cool. and refined them. That doesn't mean we should go just because something worked before. Doesn't mean we don't have something okay. that works better now. Okay, I'm going to give you another example from my culture, right? The thing I'm most proud of my country in recent time for, and the thing I'm most proud of us politically, is uh, the Maori people. Um, there's a bunch of different tribes in different places. We call them iwi. Starting with in nine, uh, 2014, a court case was won between the New Zealand government uh, against the New Zealand government by Tuhoi Maori. Tuhoi are one of our tribes. They live in the North Island, and they live in a valley. They're they're called uh, Te Uruwera. Now, most Maori have uh, a story going back to the the navigators who came here. So the 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 canoes that uh, that brought the um, the Polynesians to New Zealand, except Tuhoi. Tuhoi have a different story. Tuhoi. Um, say that their ancestor was born of the mountain and the mist. That the that these are like um, 
they're both physical parts of the landscape and they are uh, like gods as well. And that the union between the feminine mist and the male mountain produced a human being, a male ancestor, and they descend from that person. Right, but all of that is not true. But listen, 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 listen. because I haven't got to the point okay. yet. All right, go ahead. And that the valley that they live in, to Uruwera, is therefore literally their ancestor in their mythology, right? So they claim ancestry to the land. Now, that is, that's magical thinking. You just jumped on and said, no, 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 magical thinking, Ari. It's like, cool. So the question is, and this is pragmatic, this is my point, pragmatic magical thinking, can their belief get allow them to do something in the world, a real result, that your belief can't. Okay, here's what they managed to do. They won a court case accepting under New Zealand law that the that the valley is their ancestor, that it's a real person. To, they, it, the, it's the personhood case. They, they granted to Uruwera legal personhood. Um, now, you, this sounds like magical thing. We have legal personhood in the West Um in terms of corporations, and we have for hundreds of years. This is so that you can have a contract with a corporation and you have to, uh, that corporation has rights, so you have to pay the corporation back. And no matter if all the people have left the corporation, you could you could have a 100-year-old debt to that corporation as a legal person. So it was using an element of Western law and New Zealand law and European law that there was also already a precedent for, but by making the valley a legal person and giving it rights, making it illegal to um, violate the rights of that valley, they have better protected that uh, that valley under environmental law than we have been able to do through a materialist idea that a mountain is a dead thing. And just to show you how influential this has been, um, 2017, they made a river a legal person for the same reasons for environmental protection and and because of a spiritual connection in their mythology. There was the Whanganui River. Just this year, we made a mountain Taranaki a legal person. Um, this has been noticed by indigenous people all around the world. And after the Whanganui River, 2017, the River Ganges was made a legal person by a, by a group of Hindus for exactly the same reason, because it was seen more pragmatically um, to help change the values of people around in their relationship to that piece of land so they can better environmentally protect it. This is pragmatic, magical thinking. They were able to do something that uh, treating a landscape as a dead, lifeless thing doesn't allow you to do okay so i will say that's that's interesting i mean that's a super cool story um Mm. but that's law that has nothing to do with science and that has a lot more to do with probably the local politics between groups and uh people not getting their toes stepped on and recognizing uh, indigenous beliefs and things like that and all of that is wonderful but you know like here's an but it's that certainly doesn't prove magic. I think that here's a, a counter example to what you're saying, or it's actually the same example, you know, in Iceland, um, they believed in elves forever. 
uh, there's movies you can watch about it. They believe elves come out of rocks and things like that. Yeah, there's there's the, all yeah. these these fey creatures everywhere, um, to the point where even in the I read in an in-flight magazine, even in the modern world, if they're building a road and somebody has a dream that an elf mm. lives there, they will stop building the road. And I believe that this is in law. Mm. Now that's great. That's a very quaint tradition. That's great to tell tourists when they come. Elves don't exist. Okay. Like, it, like just cause like, it's basically like kind of like you could also make the argument. It's like, well, it's very pragmatic for parents to tell kids that Santa is real cause it, it's fun and that it's a reason for getting presents. But well, that's great. And that's wonderful. And I'm not going to take that away from anyone, but there's no Santa. Okay. So like, we like, great. Like that can be, you know, this type of discourse is maybe fun in movies or, you know, for kids or something like that. But we, you know, it's imperative as a culture that we keep anything that looks like magical thinking out of certainly the scientific discourse, I would say out of the discourse on mm. what reality is. And as, as evidence, I show you this fake news era that we're in, how, catastrophic actually it has been for society to even for instance ditch the idea that there may be an objective truth that's been unbelievably um it's like battery acid for society and we don't even know what the hell we don't even know what the hell's going on anymore so i would say that we i would say we still you know what i i think that it's a you know as a, as a great as somebody said once it's a long hard road out of hell hell being superstition mm. in the middle ages and we're still coming out of that and if anything we're seeing huge regressive forces now the rise of fundamentalism um in america in the middle east um in political fundamentalism fake news you know donald trump all this stuff like if anything like we need to get rid of we need to get magical thinking out of our society and i, and I would argue that our society would be much better served if instead of all of this, it was, you know, we, we take kind of the AI route and start using things and start making decisions based on data and not people's subjective feelings. Cause some people's subjective feelings is you're kind of talking about the realm of people's subjective feelings. Well, like people's subjective feelings are kind of always wrong. So that's why. They're, yeah. They're always a little bit wrong. Yeah. Well, often they're very wrong. Often my subjective thing, like I go through every day having wrong ideas subjectively, whether it's a conversation I'm having with somebody in my mind or I misinterpret what something says and I'm constantly having to check myself so that I don't react to something um, that I perceived that was not actually there. So, which okay, we need so to be doing as a society. Do you want me to, which other things do you, you want me to reply to? Um, do you want me to reply to the elves idea? Um, well, do you want me to reply to I, the fundamentalism I, I, idea? My, my overall point is just because people... Um, just because people engage in magical thinking doesn't mean uh, a it's real and b that it's not a problem. And I would say that you say you say you're not you're saying there's useful and less useful magical thinking. That's thank you. That's what I'm. Saying. So you're saying that I also disagree with that. I just think um, I think that okay. Here's here's there's a guy named Stephen Novella who's a great skeptic. He wrote an audio book mm. called Your Deceptive Mind, which I'm always recommending to people. It goes over how our minds lie to us. I'm sure you'd be in this context, you'd be probably be very interested in it. Um, he says, you know, like people always, here's a classic thing. People always say like, well, there's Western medicine and then there's Eastern medicine. And Stephen Novella was right. like, no, there's medicine that works and there's medicine that doesn't. And that's pretty much how I feel. So to, to, to wind it back a bit where you're talking about, well, these Maori have this navigational system that's really valid. Well, 
great. Let's test it. And if it works, let's incorporate it. But if it doesn't work, then it doesn't mm. work. But it sounds like it works. So let's use the scientific method to figure out what's working and incorporate that uh, into our knowledge base. But please don't misunderstand me. My point was that they discovered a technology without the use of clockwork that it took um, Europeans developing not only clockwork, but clockwork where it moves on ways specifically to you can. So there's latitude and longitude, right? You can figure out latitude just using a uh, position of the sun. And yeah. Um, and uh, I think a compass and your position to your sun, right? But longitude, uh, is the thing that uh, took people a mass amount of time through history. Yeah, it turned, the Europeans came, the Europeans got lost all over the world for ages and ages, anytime they weren't hopping coastlines. Like the reasons that the Vikings got to Newfoundland was because they were more or less hopping coastlines and just they would were, they were spend like a week in the open water that they'll, they'll end up some semi-random place on the, on the new continent um, so that but to go across the Pacific is something else. That's completely different. That's a that's an order of magnitude more complex. I'm not saying they didn't do it. I'm not saying they didn't do it. And my point is that um, we, you're framing things as if the people in the past um, not only didn't have answers, but our answers now are much better. But compared with uh, 15th century. The, the the Polynesians were producing results that were um, nearly as good as a 15th century Well, sailor. that's great. That's great. And I will say, I never said that we weren't figuring things out or getting things to work before yeah. science. Um, and by the but way... To dismiss... Um, well, hold, hold on. And I also said... That, okay. So um, I, I never said that... I'm just saying because I'm going to lose what I was thinking of. Um, yeah, I'm worried about that too. <laughs> I've been taking notes if you run. So um, the... Uh, I never said that we weren't getting things to work or figuring things out. And it kind of sounds a little bit like you're kind of also making an argument that what I'm saying may be Eurocentric. And just to be clear, science uh, did not originate in Europe. I mean, it started in in the Middle East uh, and it came out of yeah, uh, uh, Middle Eastern alchemy and things like that. So, and Persians, right. Persia, yeah. so I'm not like basically what I'm saying, though, is um, and I'm certainly not making the claim that like European what you know europeans know everything there is to know now that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is clearly they did something that worked um but you know like every just like in everything in life um everything follows the pareto principle which is that 20 percent of the thing does 80 percent of the work so what i'm saying is um with this kind of system they may have 20 percent of actual hard thing that worked and 80 percent magical fluff and if we put that to the to the scientific method, then we can isolate the thing that works. And if it's something that we don't know, wonderful. And I think that one of the great things about having a global, multicultural, internet-connected world with availability information is now we can learn things like this. That there's things that we don't know that other cultures do and begin to learn from other cultures and things we haven't. But that stuff still needs to be tested. So it's like we just have more stuff to put to the test. And, and so I'm certainly not dismissing any of this at all. And that's wonderful. Okay, so can I right. just remind mm -hmm. that? So you agree that um, in a perfect in a perfect scientific para paradigm, if we're doing science properly, we should be able to go back to the good ideas of the past, the ones that produced real results, and incorporate them into our scientific world. We can, and if test, that's what them. You're we can saying, test them. And if they work, then yes. Yes. I, that's what I said. Okay. And if you agree with that, that the working ideas of the past, then I totally agree with you. 
Cool. And I feel like we can almost put that aside now. I agree. The question is what to do with, um, because I'm not anti-science. Hopefully you figured this out by now. Well, well, I know that, but again, we're just, just framing remember, it as magic. Just remember. We're just framing it as magic versus science. But, uh, but I'm another, playing devil's but, advocate here. So everyone oh, no, I know, have, everyone I know, I know. will have this argument, right? Because <laughs> just like people are just like, what are you talking about? Magic, come on. Okay, yeah. carry on. No. Okay, so the question is then... Um, so I'm, in my book, I also, uh, I not only frame magic as what it's trying to do that's different to science um, and how it's similar to science, because both science and magic are trying to produce results. It's just that magic is willing to incorporate um, results that are much more or entirely subjective, and science goes, oh, well, we can't do much with that. Okay, so, so in that case, I'll just simply say one is right and one is wrong. And I think that if there are subjective results that can't be tested, well, that's great if that's inspirational for you in the same way that like reading poetry is or something like that. But, and that's great for the realm of like poetry and theater or whatever, you know, um, pop music, I don't know, whatever. But um, it, that has nothing to do with science. And it ha basically what I'm saying is that line of thinking, okay, great. That's a line of thinking from the past that not only has nothing to do with the modern scientific discourse, but should actively be kept out because it's counterproductive to our society moving forward. Okay, so um, to answer that, I'm going to go back to another question you had. Um, you brought up elves, and I didn't reply to it. You brought up that, um, and this is not just Iceland. This is um, actually something that happens in the UK and New Zealand. And so the Yes, they they supposedly diverted some highway around Elfland. Also, elves live in rocks in Iceland. That's the myth. That's the mythology. That's the folklore. Um, so they have uh, rocks in their neighborhoods. There are some streets that have a rock with a house number on it where the elves live. Just as just as a cultural fact, um, we've had similar discussions in New Zealand about Tanifa. Tanifa are nature spirits, guardians, guardian spirits who are generally uh, around bodies of water. And it's happened in the UK with, um, oh, is it Hazel? Hazelwood? Hazelwood's an elf tree and in, in elf, uh, sorry, a fairy tree in folklore. So there's been protected um Hazel, I think it's hazelwood trees and things like that. So this happens in a lot of cultures. It's not just a quaint thing that the Icelanders do. There is probably an, a, an equivalent for it in just about all places that have a continued folklore. Cool. So the question is, yeah, if you're going to ask, are elves real, you're not going to get a scientific uh, confirmation that elves are real. But I argue that might be the wrong question. There might not be a scientific question to ask. You can do science on elf experiments or elf experiences. So spirits, you're not going to be get an ontological uh, experiment that says that spirits are real or not because spirits are in the category that category. But spirit experiences are real, and you can go around collecting spirit experiences, and you can come to data like a New Zealand study that said that found that um, more than sixty percent of people talk to a dead loved one um have an experience of talking to a dead loved one at some point on their life and therefore it's quite normal to have spirit experiences whether you have them on magic mushrooms or through some sort of 
family folklore or whether it's fanciful or not. The question then, this is this is my line of thinking, is it ever useful to see elves? Well, here's one way it could be, because you're saying magical thinking is always bad, we should always replace it with objective thinking. But uh, being able to uh, get magical results from magical thinking can sometimes be beneficial. Here's what I mean. Someone grows up in a uh, fairy culture, like perhaps um, Scotland, and uh, they grow up being able to see fairies or believing they can see fairies and having these experiences. Um, it's clear something's going on. Um, they deeply believe in it, but um, but there is no way to prove the existence of the fairies. The other people around them can't see it. They grow into an adult, but throughout their life, they paint their experiences and draw beautiful paintings of these fairies and in their adulthood uh, they become such a famous fairy artist that they start making a living from it and it allows them to survive um, whether and people are buying their paintings whether they believe in the idea that the person that the fairies are really there or not what previously was a uh, magical thinking is bad maladaptive bad for you becomes a survive an actual evolutionary survival uh tactic that is producing a, a a better chance of survival for that actual person um and looks like an enviable skill actually other people start drawing fairies and painting fairies and emulating them hoping to get some of the same experiments Given this for long enough, many people find that if you manipulate the human mind in exactly the right way, you get fairy-like experiences. At that point, there's a little thread of science in there. Okay. But also, the magical thinking can be adaptive, can be beneficial. Okay, so then I will respond in this way. So you're saying that everyone has these experiences, so clearly something's going on well uh, i said they are common they're common okay so they're common so okay yeah. okay yeah. so there's clearly something going on here well i i agree with you right and but yeah. um what i would say is clearly what's going on is some combination of a placebo b cultural construction of experiences with people around them because people can we, we know people can go to faith healing sessions and then they start convulsing and speaking in tongues because everyone around them is doing it that doesn't mean that it's they're being possessed by an angel um, it, it, uh, it, there's a bit of cultural construction there. The, th the third is, um, you, you kind of allude to the fact that there may be something going on, maybe even physically producing this. And I, I will say, okay, great. Now I, I don't, I don't doubt in a second that people have these experiences and been having them throughout history. I'm just saying there's probably, a, it, there's a, there's a scientific explanation. So a classic example would be, um, sleep paralysis. So we, we know forever people have been reporting forever, uh, demon possession, incubi and succubi sitting on their chest, uh, alien abduction, and all of these basically sound like the experience of sleep paralysis, where, for instance, you wake up, you're paralyzed, there's something in the room with you. This is now people have these things. Well, they say, well, aliens came into the room and paralyzed me with a ray gun and they were all around me and I couldn't move. Have, well, have, have well, you had that experience? Yes, I have. I have I've had yeah. sleep paralysis several times. So too, it's yeah. kind of like, well, and, 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 and having that experience 
um, isn't, you know, I will say this, investigating those experiences is a fascinating scientific pursuit. What's going to come out of it? Okay. So that I will agree with you on. Um, what's going to come. So like, for instance, let's say following your line of argument that we subject people who are seeing elves to MRIs and we figure out there's a part of the brain, which always lights up when that's happening. And then we use Mm. some type of stimulation to stimulate that part of the, do an experiment. So we have, you know, at least like a hundred thousand people do this to get statistical significance. Uh, because again, you, as you say correctly, magic is unrepeatable. Therefore it's literally, you need a hundred thousand data points on anything to get statistical significance. So it's literally impossible with magic, uh, because it's not real. That's why it's not possible. Um, and then, um, uh, but let's say that, you know, we find that part of the brain that produces that experience and then we zap it and it produces similar experiences. Well, now we've learned something and now we can kind of maybe move on from this old, and it's the same thing with alchemy becoming chemistry. Maybe we can move on from this old nonsense and proceed towards something real. Why would you move on? Why wouldn't people then, uh, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't people purposely induce those experiences? Oh, no, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. For their, own, for their own enjoyment, you know? No, no, no. I'm saying that's what people should do. They would just understand what's actually happening, which is that part of the brain, you know, stimulates the imagination or something, whatever it turns out to be. Yeah. Okay, I'm so just saying, get, I'm, just saying I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying get rid of the supernatural explanation and get the natural one, get the real explanation. By the way, I'm framing magic and I've used many examples that aren't supernatural, right? Um, in mm-hmm. fact, I think the whole term supernatural is deeply silly because uh, it implies that we know a lot. It implies that there's things. <laughs> I mean, the, the term nature is supposed to encompass everything. So what's supernatural? Um, and uh, that, and if, if there's a supernatural, then things like numbers and ideas and concepts are supernatural. And that's what I sort of like trying to... And before, but uh, part of the problem of with the science, uh, the scientism kind of uh, problems with magic is a n- not being able to not carefully quantifying what we're actually talking about. Cool. Okay, but here's my point: it doesn't stop uh, being a magical experience. The ability to manipulate manipulate the perception in accordance with will. That was that's my working. Um, definition for the for my first book um, I reserve the right to tweak that with each successive book but that's that's my pragmatic magical thinking the ability to manipulate perception in accordance with the will uh, it doesn't stop being a magical experience to induce fairies after you've scientifically figured out it can be done that way it doesn't stop being a magical experience to uh to have a succubus experience through sleep paralysis or a night hack. It doesn't stop. Magic is in that place there. Of It's in the subjective realm, and it's uh, a worthy pursuit in its own right, uh, just as you like, well, art and music and things, and fantasy and Harry Potter's, you know, it's enjoyable, so it's valuable. Yeah, well, it, magic is too, and magical experiences are too, uh, whether they're scientifically verified or not. Some of them are, some aren't. Well, I think that, sense. and I gave an example of how the fairy experience might actually improve a person's life. Okay, or so make them easier. like maybe if you wrote a book on 
you know, like, like why imagining fairies will make your life better or something like that. Like, that's just kind of a popular self-help book. Okay. Okay. Ramsey Dukes already did that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. know. But that's not, that's not science. Right. And Ramsey Dukes in that book literally says, just imagine it. So, you know, like that's a non-starter. Okay. And, um, I think that, and also there's a broader question there which is I understand that this is kind of a counterculture pursuit or a phase people go through when they're younger, right? And that it's important. It's a way that people assert their identity and show that they're special and maybe like, you know, pump up their own self-confidence. And that's all great. You know, we all, we all go through phases, okay, before we grow up, right? Um, but uh, don't you think, however, that putting out the message into society that magic is real and you can make things happen with your mind and it's kind of like, don't you think that that's just going to lead to narcissism and solipsism? I mean, this is where we get furries from, right? So it's like, yeah. like, <laughs> like, like, seriously, it's like you're kind of giving okay. people a license to be delusional, don't you think? What's wrong with furries? Furries. F U R. You bring up you bring up furries a lot. What's not wrong? With, what's not wrong with furries? They they clearly irk you. They clearly like trigger your your <laughs> turn your stomach a little bit. But um, they're not actually doing like you. Also live in the land of the free. It's like why why shouldn't they dress up and well, have okay. uh, well fair enough. But I mean, things and, you know, other than a lot actually do turn out to be pedophiles and, and, and uh, zoophiles and all that. But okay, okay. Well, it's yeah. But uh, I mean. Surely you have worn a costume out in public. I have never worn a fursuit once. And by the way, sir, I do not dress up for Halloween ever. This is what you get all 24-7. So, yeah. Okay. So you I, don't, I, don't believe, I don't believe in the imagination. I think that people should just run their lives from data and face reality. You know, it's like we have so many problems on this planet. No, 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 no. Why should no, we be engaging in delusion? No, that's where I'm going with this. Um, if your goal is to get... Uh, interesting favorable social re, um interactions with people then uh then dressing in particular ways whether it's a costume or it's a a woman or a man dressing immaculately in a way that people desire or it's like me having a belly belly button length beard um all of these things produce socially gratifying results this is why there's goths this is why there's fairies this is why there's people who are public wizards and um and it's totally fine that you don't want to participate in that but to to assume that it's bad and people aren't getting something out of it there's a reason that uh the word glamour assigned to the glamour industry as uh is originally a magical word word meaning to change your appearance because it literally does produce uh very fascinating psychological results if you go out dressed in a costume it can be any costume you like it doesn't have to be a fairy costume or some kind of perverted whatever you're thinking right but just dressing up is a powerful thing that a lot of people get out of and it's not a shallow thing right well, okay, but okay, but what does that have to do with? I mean, basically, so you use the word glamour. Glamour means illusion. You're just proving my point. I yeah. mean, it just it's like to to use the language of someone from your camp, Austin Osmond Spare. Uh, yeah. He he said, you know, were I to crown myself, would I were I to crown myself king? Would I be no? So and and Crowley said. A Leicester Crowley no, totally, said, I, um, I totally uh, yeah. said the, the most magical way to open a door is to go over and turn the doorknob. And it's like, great. So basically mm-hmm. what you're doing is describing 
normal physical reality, putting the word magic on it, putting a robe on and trying to impress young people to give you money. Right? Like no, that's all I've, that is. I've never, I've never accepted money as a, a or have I? I, I, I generally <laughs> or whatever. don't accept You get followers, business, get you know? people to think you're cool, get yeah. a recording contract, whatever, you know, I no, mean, so far, it's obviously yeah. a scam, right? Oh, so which part is a scam? Well, magic is a scam because it's not real. And it's like you're giving people false hope, don't you think? I'm sorry, I fail, I fail to follow uh, the logic. Okay, so wearing well, costumes in public being something that produces real world well, results. Well, okay, what I was people who want who want to get excitement out of other people or want to be told they look nice. Well, that's all or, great uh, if people want to look nice on a Saturday night, but that has nothing to do with humanity's knowledge. You know, it's like that's what I was saying. It's like, look, if, if this is just like a costume that you want to do, this kind of Neil Gaiman thing where you dress up and impress goth girls, great. But that has nothing to do with the actual discourse on what reality is, nor should it. Because um, while they're getting real results, which you just admitted, what who gets what results when you dress uh, the. Which one are you going to want to go with, goths or furries? Either way, they are dressing in a certain way, and uh, and then uh, like a lot of costumes, um, costumes are very psychological, right? So, like for instance, when I was younger and I went busking, you do not get given money generally by people wearing suits, even though people wearing suits probably have more money than and suits are expensive. You get given money by uh, people who are dressed casually. Um, it, a lot of costumes people wear, whether it's just their fashion sense or otherwise, and, and uh, even you, it, this includes even you with your attempt to not wear costumes, uh, is a signal that you are open to talk to certain kinds of people, usually other people who look like you, and you want to uh, not be talked to by and other groups of people, usually people who don't look like you, the power of a costume, be it a public wizard, a furry, or a, a glamorous woman, or a, a dandy man in a tartan suit with a big bow tie, is that it's like an open sign uh, that allows you to start up conversations with a huge amount of people that would not normally talk to you. And that is extremely powerful. Um and if you if you don't think it's extremely powerful, then you haven't tried it. Okay, but that's just like fashion and like social skills. How is that magic? And psychology, yeah. Well, okay, yeah. So why put the word magic on that? Um, Let me, I guess because the way you frame it, if you frame it as if, it, the, because one of the most practical ways to get the job done the quickest is to frame it as if you're doing a charm spell in order to try and get people to behave a certain way, which is what musicians who are trying to make people dance are trying to do. It's what advertisers are trying to do, but it's what the fairies are trying to do too. Well, in that case, then why are we, why, I mean, end of conversation, right? It's like, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, look, I mean, like I get that, uh, I get that, um, you know, this is like an artistic metaphor or whatever. I'll just ask this. Okay. Let me just, I'll just get straight to the point. Show me magic. Can you show me magic in a way that is not clearly it just w w show me magic as you believe it. Like show it to me right now. If it's real, you should be able to show me. Cool. I do most of my magic through music. So I could do something musical, I guess. W whatever you want to do. So normally I'd play electric guitar, yeah. but, um, I'll point the mic at this. Okay. Great. Okay. So remember that the what, how I'm framing 
magic in my in this book is the ability to manipulate the perception in accordance with the will. So firstly, I'm going to show you uh, how I might make people dance. And then I'm, uh, which, you know, this is obviously not a framework where I'm probably going to make you dance because it's not a music venue, but I'm going to show you how I do that. And then I'm going to show you a how music is actually inherently built on auditory illusions. So if you try and reduce music to numbers, you're going to get completely stuck because there's elements of music that are literally illusory. Cool. All right. Okay. So this is the spell that generally gets people to dance at my gigs. Can you hear it? Yep. Yeah. No, I can't hear it. No, it's totally silent. It's totally silent. Okay. Just a moment. There's a little button up here. What about this? There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. That's that's zoom um that's zoom muting it. Unfortunately, here we go. So there's something about music, if you define a beat, all it is is the uh, a strumming pattern uh, with the inclusion of some loud, loud beats and some quiet ones. And generally guitarists, drummers and modern musicians will put those on beats two and four. I'm just going to show you the difference. Here's the thing that allows the trick to happen. And here is, uh, if you play it this way, it doesn't work. So the difference. And without. There is something about adding loud beats in regular intervals, um, dynamic differences that directly goes to the part of the human brain that controls the body. And I saw even you, a tough customer, oh, yeah. oh, no, over yeah. an internet connection nodding your head. I, I will say oh. that I was nodding my head without yeah. realizing it. And this is one of the this is one of the most tricky because uh, a part of a a, mu a a musical charm spell is how I like to frame it, is the venue as part of it. This is one of the hardest venues possible through a little tiny camera with a, with a little microphone and yet he's still great. nodding his head, great. ladies and gentlemen. Okay, cool. Cool. So uh, if this was a live show, I would have had the audience clapping. That was great. Yeah, I can hear myself, by the way, out of your uh, speakers. So you might want to mute me because I'm echoing on that side. Okay, so that was the, um, there was a little mute function. Okay. Before. Okay, so the next one is, there's been this idea through history, I'm sure you know enough about, um, you know, Renaissance thought and everything, they had this idea called music of the spheres, 
in which they were trying to explain the entire world uh, through a a, a, unison, a a collision between mathematics and music. So for modern people, why are there seven colors in the rainbow? Do you know, Jason? No, actually, I don't. Or if I do, I've forgotten. Um, so go ahead. Okay. Because isn't it a spectrum, Mr. Science? Isn't, aren't colors, couldn't we have four colors or 32? Isn't it arbitrary? The reason we have seven colors of the rainbow, Jason, is because Isaac Newton decided we should, because seven is a magical number, as you well know, and he was trying to align his theory of colors, which he was a proto-scientific theory, with the uh, notes of the major scale. And there are seven different notes in music, and, uh, and there's A, B, C, D, F, G, and then the eighth one is the octave. Cool? Okay. That, so that's, I did not know that. That's crazy. Yeah. So the seven, uh, that's a remnant in our culture. It's totally arbitrary. Scientifically, there's no reason why there should be seven, but there's all these symbolic, as you well know, as a magic teacher, there's all of these symbolic numerological leftovers. Why haven't they got that out of there yet? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, cool. This comes from Pythagoras. He's the father of our music theory. He discovered that if you uh, take the harmonics of a string, that if you take the harmonics of a string, if you take the third harmonic, which is a musical fifth, Nothing played. Right, nothing. Nothing played right there. Oh, sorry. If you take the musical fifth, oh, sorry. Kinda. Kinda. Yeah, it's not really picking up. I think Zoom is like cutting out like eighty percent of that. Yeah, Zoom's cutting it out. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, how's this? The musical fifth. Um, that if you pile a fifth upon a fifth upon a fifth upon a fifth, which is the third harmonic, so you take a string and you cut off a third and then you cut off another third and another third and another third, you will get 12 repetitions that are all unique notes and on the 13th, you'll find the octave. You'll find a, a higher um, vibration of the one you started on. So if you started on an A, you'll go through all 12 notes um, that are on a guitar, and then you'll end up uh, on another A again on the 13th. That's the reason we have 12 notes. Uh, Pythagoras was pleased about this. It aligned with the uh, zodiac um, in, you know, 12 months of the year. It, it's a, 12 was another important numerical idea. Um, because of that, uh, proto-scientists, um, musicians, decided that music could be explained by numbers um and that and they because there is order and dissonance in music and this is what I'm going to show you next that therefore the entirety of order in the universe could be explained by analogy through music cool this doesn't work the music cannot be explained explicitly in numbers um for this reason I'll show you so I'm going to run a little experiment here I'm going to play you some intervals and ask you whether they are dissonant or consonant. Consonant means 
they sound pleasant and the notes rhyme together and dissonant. So firstly, I'm going to make it explicit. So this is dissonance. This is consonance. Understand? Okay, so is this interval dissonant or consonant? That sounds consonant to me. Sounds consonant? Okay, what about this one? It sounds like halfway. Cool. So it could be considered dissonant. Halfway is actually the correct answer. If I yeah. put a note in between, if I put a note in between, consonant? Mm -hmm. Cool. If I take that middle note out, those are the same two notes you heard from the beginning. So that middle note fixes its disorder, makes it heard as a... Uh, consonants and then when I take that note out you go away hearing it as a consonant now something's interesting here most people say that those two notes are dissonant until I play the middle note I remove the middle note and then they uh, remain consonant so you're hearing two notes and it's an auditory illusion it's an auditory illusion as to whether you hear them consonant or dissonance this means that music is not made out of numbers this means that the human perception is an integral part of music and music is at its core partly illusion, partly illusory. Cool? Okay. Partly illusion. And yet uh, the effects of music are real, have been scientifically measured. And your general, your general opinion has been that illusion is wrong, we should only have... Um, you know, we should try and get closest to objective reality always, always better. Would you remove music from the world, Jason? Yes. <laughs> oh, well, that's <laughs> us done. <laughs> you, you set that one up. Tell you what, let's do this. We're at the two hour mark. Um, why don't we do this? I'm going to put a poll on Twitter, now known as x.com. Um, awesome. Why don't uh, whichever we can flip a coin if you want to see who goes first you you make your final point i'll make my final point and then i'll put a poll on twitter and people can weigh in as to who they think won this debate how's that okay cool. okay uh actually do you have a coin handy I, I don't maybe you can flip a coin uh, i spent all my coins uh, okay. a flip a guitar pick okay perfect um i will hey, do it I will do heads, uh, I guess, like heads. Okay, I I'll do first. it again. I'll do it again. Oh, you just, oh, I see. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I call heads. heads. I call heads. Your heads? Yeah, yeah, I call heads. Yeah, you get heads. Okay. My, so my argument succinctly is, while I do not, you know, reject the fact that magical thinking is something that was important to people historically, we've moved on somewhere we've moved on that it constitutes a bunch of untested hypotheses. We tested those hypotheses. Most of them turned out to be wrong. The ones that turned out to be right, we refined and got modern science out of, and we should proceed from that. If there was such a thing as magic, it's a thing of the past and it existed only as the packing foam that science came in. That's my point. Awesome. My point is that you objectivity is never something you arrive at. 
therefore most of the time your choice is not between uh, subjectivity and objectivity it is between better magical thinking and worse magical thinking and uh and that magical thinking is neutral uh and therefore you to dismiss it all basically means you have very little power to act in the world at all okay is that succinct enough it's a absolutely little messy, no that's absolutely succinct enough i i i may have a slightly biased audience towards your side um okay <laughs> I, I, will, I will put this on x.com <laughs> it's funny i have to call Amazing. it that now and i will pin it to the yeah. top of my profile and i'll leave it up for a week and uh we will see what people uh what people say all right we didn't get every, to everything but let's put a bookmark in it for now and um tell us where people can get your book and find out more about you Thank you so much, Jason, for having me on. I've been listening to your show for a long time, so it's it means a lot. Uh, my book is available, uh, released by Aeon Books. As far as I can tell, it's pretty much everywhere you buy books on online. You can get it. You can definitely get it on Amazon. You can definitely get it on Aeon Books' own website. Most most places you buy books, it's there. Um, came out on Halloween. And it's called Pragmatic Magical Thinking, Real Magic Explained. Oh, pragmatic Magical Thinking. Yeah. Okay. Pragmatic Magical Thinking, Real Magic Explained. Um, yeah, all of these ideas I've been through, mo uh, almost all of them are in that book and plenty more. And I'm currently writing a second book, which will be out about a year from now. It's called Tarot, Psychic Results for Skeptics. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and um, till next time, that was a great conversation. Thank you for participating in advanced podcasting and to all the audience <laughs> Thanks, as well. Jason. Don't forget to vote at x.com. That was, that was both fun and totally brutal. I, hopefully it was fun. It was fun for me too. Thank you for giving me the chance to take the opposite side for once. <laughs> for once in no, my exactly, life. this is exactly, exactly why I wanted to talk to you oh, actually, because you've often said you're, um, you've often come on the side of science and said you're a skeptic and yet you're a, um, got the largest magic teacher on the internet yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet i'm a complete loon um yeah excellent all right thank you very all right hope you really really enjoyed that i definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation meet us at magic.me m-a-g-i-c-k Dot me, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class, and until next time, hang in there.